All right, so we are in the midst of our series called The Fivefold Family. Uh, if you're not aware, because you haven't been here, or you, you're not aware of this scripture, it comes from the Bible. In the book of Ephesians, in chapter 4, starting at verse 11, it talks about Jesus giving the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers for the purpose of equipping and building up and bringing maturity to the body of Christ. Um, these aren't necessarily the, the leaders of the church. This is not a, so much of a church structural thing. Uh, we see the apostle Paul speaks of like elders and deacons, and that's kind of those who would lead the church. But these functions, roles, they might be leaders, Naturally, if you happen to be an apostle or an, a, a prophet or an evangelist, so you might be a leader to equip others because you need a leadership skill to do that equipping. But it's really just about this gift that Jesus gives to the church to help everyone to become more like Him. That's what it's all about. Amen? Awesome. So it's not about making so much about making apostolic people or prophetic people or evangelistic people or shepherding people or teaching people. It's about everyone coming into maturity. But naturally, what you will discover, and I really encourage you to, to, to kind of take a test if you want to, and you'll find kind of how you're wired. What's a more dominant aspect of the nature of Christ that's expressed through you? Okay, so you can go on, there's like, uh, if you just Google um, like fivefold test or something like that. What was the, is Jess here? She, she would know the address of, what's the address of the fivefold one, the free one that we did? fivefoldministry.com, you can look at that. Or there's a guy called Alan Hirsch, and if you go into 5Q Central, so numeral five, letter Q, Central, uh, it's probably .com, and they've got a, it's a paid test. It's 10 bucks, it's a lot more accurate, a lot more helpful, but you might find, and it gives a whole lot of description. And I kind of love, I don't do a lot of personality tests and all that sort of thing, because I feel like, you know, that that can adapt and change. Um, but But this is really talking about what's the, What's a, the greater manifestation of the nature of Jesus that's coming through your life? And it will give some kind of meaning and understanding to how you're wired. Yeah? Cool. Do that. So we're talking about an evangelistic family. What does it look like for us as a church? What does it look like for the body of Christ, the church um, worldwide to, to be an evangelistic community or an evangelistic family? Remember, God uses family language when He talks about the church. And, uh, and so it means that these kind of aspects of Jesus being woven into the church, they're woven into a family context. I think the evangelistic gifting and evangelism in general is possibly one of the most misunderstood and misrepresented callings and expressions. Now, you might be thinking, oh, no, it's very clear in my mind what an evangelist is, and I know I don't want to be one. Um, that might be you. And, but I'm, I'm kind of wondering, maybe the, the image of what an evangelist is that's being presented to us isn't the fullest picture. I mean, we can probably picture in our minds that kind of stereotypical caricature of what an evangelist is. And now if, you, if you're an evangelist and you do any of those things, this is not a, I'm not putting a downer on you. I'm just saying that there's kind of a narrow expression of evangelism um, that we've seen you know, maybe it's the, you know, you think of the person on the street corner with the placard sign, you know, saying repent for the end is nigh or something like that, or, you know, some sort of turn or burn 
or obscure kind of Bible verse thing that they're doing. Uh, maybe it's the person kind of bailing you up on the street and trying to hand out a tract and have you heard the good news? And um, you're like, I'm late for a meeting kind of thing, you know? So, but it's that, it's that kind of in your face, maybe person, um, or maybe it's a, a positive one that you think of, like a Billy Graham, uh, you know, kind of preaching to this massive crusade of thousands and thousands of people. But if you think of all of those things, you might be thinking, I'm not sure that I want to be any of those ones or I'm able to be any of those ones. I'm not, I'm not bold enough to kind of stand on the street corner with a, with a sign and to get all of the negative kind of feedback and attention from that. I always feel for these people, you know, the people that hand out like flyers for things and you just got to say no, but you imagine, man, you would not be able to function. If you had a root of rejection, if you had rejection issues, that would be like the worst possible job uh, you could be in or, you know, trying to raise money for stuff. So bless those people. Um, but maybe you think, oh, I could never be that person. I, I'm not an extrovert. I could never go up to strangers and start conversations with them on the street or, or there's no way I could be able to stand up in front of thousands of people and, uh, and speak and, and, you know, preach the gospel and that sort of stuff. So if we think of these images, then we start to disqualify ourselves from being able to do that because, well, I can't do that, so therefore I can't do evangelism. I want to encourage you, that is only one expression of it. And I'm not sure that in today's um, culture, they're the most uh, beneficial or appropriate or... Um, kind of, they're not going to be the most successful ways to share the good news of Jesus. Even at times where you might say, like if you, if you put on a big crusade in, in Perth today and you said, hey, we're going to come and preach the gospel to you, I don't know how many people who don't know Jesus would actually show up to that. I, I just don't think they would. You might, you'd get a whole lot of, I mean, just probably in the last few years we had something, an event like that, and, uh, and it was a stadium filled with Christians. And the Christians don't, I mean, some need to hear the gospel, but like, that's not the kind of point of what they're going after. And yet that's what it is because people aren't drawn. They're not asking those questions. They're viewing Christianity as being this kind of outdated, irrelevant kind of uh, idea that it's like, oh man, you guys are stuck in the dark age. You need to come into modern times. And really what the church has presented to the world as what it is that the, the gospel that presented kind of isn't all that enticing. It's usually focused around when you die one day, you won't go to eternal torment if you, if you pray this prayer and become a Christian. And I know for me, it's probably, I've, I've turned 40. I'm starting to realise I can't do the things that I used to do. And, and that sense of like, oh, I'm getting older, you know, starts to become a reality. But, but for many years, I was like, I'm, I'm not thinking about death. I'm thinking about life. I'm thinking about today. I'm living existential. I'm living in the moment. And, and I think really that's kind of where our culture is at more so. There are people who are fearful of the future, but they're fearful of the future on earth. And they're not necessarily thinking about their eternal destiny. And the gospel that's presented is all about eternal destiny, not about today and now. So whatever picture you have in your mind of that evangelist kind of person, I want you to know that these are modern expressions and they're limited expressions of what evangelism and evangelists look like. Even the idea of doing an outdoor you know, kind of event or a big crowd and having people come forward and praying the sinner's prayer, all of that sort of stuff is literally within the last couple of hundred years. 
It started and became most prominent with a guy called Charles Finney who started to do that. And again, people weren't packing you know, the church buildings and so they would start to go out to, you know, to fields and people would come. And there was a, a, a grace upon it at that time where people were drawn to it. There was a grace upon the time in culture where Billy Graham was, was prominent. In Australia even, like I don't know if it was around the 50s or 60s, around that kind of time. 80s, was it? Was it that late? Yeah, that, that people would, would come and be drawn to those things, but the, the culture is, has moved on. They're not interested in that. They're not drawn to that. So if we're thinking that's what we need, we just need another Billy Graham and we're waiting for that. I don't think you could, you could have Billy Graham times 10 and still people wouldn't be drawn to it because people aren't interested in that. And I think the expression that Jesus showed was not create a space for people to come to, was actually be sent on mission to go out into all of those places and to share the good news of Jesus, but not just, hey, you need to, you need to pray this prayer or God's gonna punish you for eternity. Um, but actually God is inviting you to live life with Him today and, and be in His family and, ex- and journey with Him. So this one might take a couple of weeks or I can take a few hours today. What would you prefer? Over a couple of weeks? Yeah, yeah, well, you know, um, because there's, there's so much good stuff in here. And I think so much kind of reshaping of our thinking that we need to have in order to most fully express Jesus to the world. Amen? All right. Cool. So I'm just going to, we're going to start with. What is, what is the word? What is this word evangelism? What is this word gospel? And uh, I've got some, if for the word nerds out here, who's a word nerd? Yeah. Who, who knows what etymology means? Put your hand up. Yeah, you're a word nerd. Okay, so, uh, and it's okay if you're not. I'm one of those, like I like to know the meanings of words. Like if someone tells me a word I don't know, I'm straight on dictionary.com and looking it up. Like, ah, that's a cool word. So if you're one of those people, but even if you're not, it's kind of good just to know where words come from because they usually have a a root. So etymology is the study of the root uh, of where words come from. Okay, so the English words that we have oftentimes are connected back maybe to Latin, Old English, Greek, all of that sort of stuff. So this word, the Greek word, so in the Bible, the Bible's written in, what's called Koine Greek, okay? So it's an ancient version of Greek. It's, not, it's similar in some ways to modern Greek, but it's not really used or spoken these days. But the New Testament was written primarily in Greek. And this word in the Greek is euangelion, okay? So that's the word euangelion in the Greek means good news, okay? So you read good news in the Bible that's coming from that word euangelion. It gets transliterated, in some time in history because of the Catholic Church, everything was in Latin, okay? And they, what's called a transliteration, so it, it gets converted into evangelium, which is where we get the modern word evangelism, okay? So evangelism is the Latin version of the Greek euangelion, okay? And it means, because it means good news, then we have a time in history where the old English is spoken, and that is Godspell, which means good story, okay? Which is where we get the word gospel, so I'm probably thinking, what's gospel and good news and evangelism? It's all the same thing. They're just different English words that represent that same root Greek word. Cool? All right, there you go. 
So now you think, well, what was an evangelist in the Bible? What was the role? So this again was a cultural term. It wasn't necessarily a Christian term. As you'll find, so the word apostle wasn't a Christian term. It was a Roman cultural term. So Jesus adopted that because it gave the expression, a more accurate expression of what He intended apostolic or apostles to do. Prophets weren't just in the church. Prophets were outside of the church as well. But it was a a word that described people who would kind of be spiritually connected and communicate that to the world. And it's the same with this word evangelist. So the role of an evangelist in ancient times, in ancient culture, was if a uh, an army went out to, to battle and maybe the king was even with them and they went out to battle a foreign army to maybe conquer foreign territory, okay? So you imagine they don't have you know, live streaming, text messages, any of that sort of stuff to communicate what's going on. But when the battle was, if there was victory on the battlefield, they would send back a runner because they could be, you know, kilometres, hundreds of kilometres away. They would send back an individual. He was the evangelist and he would be sent back to the town to proclaim the good news of what has happened on the battlefield. He's coming back and he's saying, we have won the victory. The king has defeated the enemy and, and the, the territory has been overcome. We have, you know, our, our kingdom has entered into this new realm, okay? So you understand there's this imagery that we, that we see that the evangelist, Jesus is using this word, is saying, I have come to proclaim the good news and it's the good news of my kingdom, that the king is victorious, that His kingdom is here and present in this new territory, in this new, in this new realm, which was earth. Okay? So they would run back. There are other times in the Bible, even where if there was just a good announcement, so they would announce the birth of a child, that was evangelism, essentially. It was the proclamation of good news. It was the telling and declaring, hey, good news, I've got some good news for you. And this is really, really good news. But that's all it was. Evangelism is sharing the good news. To share the gospel means to share the good news. Amen? All right. So an evangelist is a proclaimer of good news. Now, is Jesus bringing salvation, bringing His kingdom, you becoming a Christian, a follower of Jesus, falling in love with Him, experiencing eternal life and all the good fruit that comes from Him? Is that good news to you? It is, all right. So you are now equipped to be an evangelist. Easy, simple. Do you need to be a Bible scholar? No, you do not. <laughs> do you need to, to know, uh, you know a, a 10 step kind of process to take people through? No, you don't. You need to love God and love people. That's all you need to be an evangelist. And for it to be good news to you. If you're like, I'm a Christian and this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. You're probably not going to be a great evangelist, but you've also probably, you might've missed something in the, in the process of, of becoming a follower of Jesus. So the evangelist is simply a proclaimer of the good news or the gospel. So then the question is, well, what is the gospel? So if I'm to proclaim this good news, what is the good news that I am declaring to the world? Jesus said in Luke chapter four, verse 43, said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God, to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. When Jesus speaks of the good news, it is the good news of the kingdom of God or the good news of the kingdom of heaven. 
What you don't find Jesus preaching is the gospel of salvation. Jesus did not preach, I've come to die, I've come and I've lived a perfect life on your behalf. I'm, I'm, I have died on your behalf. I've raised again on your behalf. And, and if you accept me, you'll go to heaven one day. Okay. Now, is that part of the gospel message? Absolutely it is. Did Jesus do all of those things? Absolutely he did. Really important to understand the audience that Jesus came to was the people of Israel. He explicitly states it. I have not come for the Gentiles. I've come for the, for, the, for the sheep of Israel, for the Jewish people. That's where the message, this gospel was being proclaimed was to those people. And you think, what, is he being exclusive? Is it not for everybody? Not at all. But they were the custodians of the message of God. From the beginning that God encountered this people and said, you'll be my people and the nations will be blessed through you. But they lost track of their mission to proclaim good, the good news of God and His kingdom to the world. So Jesus is coming and saying, I need to sort something out with you guys first because you were given the responsibility. You've maybe dropped that responsibility and I'm restoring that responsibility to you. Okay. Now, did the Jewish people need to be saved? Did they? I don't know about that. If, I think if you were a Jew, you were going to heaven. That was your future. Your future was sorted because you were, you, were, you were the people of Israel, like you were God's people, okay? I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm challenging maybe some standards, standardized. Now, did they need to accept Christ? Yes. Okay, but were they thinking, man, we are doomed, we are all going to hell, what are we going to do? No. What they were waiting for, they were waiting for the Messiah to come. What was the Messiah going to do? He was going to free them from the bondage of their natural existence because they were an oppressed people, they were a minority people, and they're thinking, we, we need this king to come. It's why the disciples would, would say to Jesus, hey, Jesus, when are we going to? like start killing dudes, <laughs> you know? When we, let's get our sword out. When Jesus was arrested, what happens? Pull out the sword. Now you're coming to get our, our king. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna stab you. Um, you know, like they're, they're thinking military conquest. That's what they're expecting. When the Messiah comes, we're gonna be finally set free, okay? And the Messiah came in a different way. <laughs> he came with a different kingdom than what they're expecting, a spiritual kingdom, not an earthly kingdom being established, okay? So it came in a different form, but that was their expectation, Okay. So Jesus didn't come preaching, you guys are a bunch of sinners, you need to repent and give your life to me and then one day you'll go to heaven. Okay. He came saying, guess what? The kingdom of God has come. The Messiah has come. The King has come. The King is ridden in <laughs> majestically into town and He's here and the kingdom of heaven is right before you. So you need to repent. I need to repent because of my sin. No, you need to repent because you can't see the kingdom without, under, without seeing it, without repenting, without a changing of your mind, your whole perspective shifting. Then you'll be able to see my kingdom because my kingdom is a spiritual kingdom, not an earthly kingdom that's been established, but it will manifest itself in earthly ways. I'm going on and I'm getting too complicated for my own brain. Um, so I'm gonna lose track of myself. But you understand, like this is, this is really important. Now, as I said, is that gospel of Jesus came to live a perfect life, He died on the cross for your sin, He rose again, given you new life and He will return one day to establish a new heaven and new earth. Is that 
part of the gospel? Yes, it is. Is it the fullness of the gospel? No, it's not. But is that the dominant gospel that's been proclaimed only in the last couple of hundred years? Absolutely it is, okay? Is there an issue with that? Yes and no. People still meet Jesus. People still fall in love with Jesus. The church still grows. The kingdom still comes in some, in some manner. But I'm not sure it's the best and fullest description that naturally leads into the redemption and restoration of all humanity, which is God's desire. So the gospel we hear preached most often is not the fullest expression of the gospel message and it's not the gospel message that Jesus preached. So I'm like, hey, you know what? I wanna be Jesus people. <laughs> I wanna be a Jesus person. I wanna be centered on what was he all about? And he was all about his kingdom. Now, do we need, and we, we celebrate it, do we need the cross of Christ? Do we need the finished work of Jesus applied to us? Absolutely, we do. Do we need the Holy Spirit? Absolutely, we do. But if we're taking then that little bit of the message of God and giving that to people, what they can come to understand about the purpose of their life as a Christian is, I've, I've avoided going to hell and one day I will go to heaven. Not, I've been invited into partnership with God. I've been invited back into His family and I'm actually now commissioned by God to go and see the world transformed. It's not the natural flow of that gospel message that's being proclaimed. So is the gospel about Jesus dying for our sins? Absolutely it is. But again, in our more modern culture, it's become very individualistic. So I can receive Jesus individually and I know one day I'll go to heaven and it's all good. But then really, what's the point of my life? Well, I guess it's just to try and be good. So even though I know you can't lose your salvation, maybe you can, so I better be do, not do too many really, really bad things. And, uh, and then I'll die one day and I'll go to be with Jesus. But really my life now is just a matter of kind of doing some different things. I guess I got to spend a couple of hours on a Sunday somewhere different uh, than what I used to before. It's not the fullness. It's not, to me, like it's, I mean, it's good news, but it's not like life transforming, life altering kind of good news for me. It's the reality of the rule and reign of Jesus and His kingdom coming, breaking into the earth. It's that the King has been victorious on the battlefield. He has won the victory over Satan and now that victory belongs to His people. And we get to partner not just with Him, but we get to become part of that restorative army on the earth. So when we only focus on the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, it's like we've taken the highlight of the story. You know, it's like that penultimate battle scene in a movie. And we're like, yeah, this is what it's all about. But there's actually a whole lot of story beforehand and a whole lot of story afterwards. And I know it might not seem as exciting, but that's where the ultimate victory is, is where the king gets what he deserves. Not that he wins the battle, but that he conquers the territory. That's the spoils of war. The spoils of, G, of the cross of Christ is that the world would come to know Him and be restored and redeemed into right relationship with Him. It's not the fullness of the good news. So if we look at maybe the gospel that's more commonly proclaimed today, even what we would understand as an evangelistic message, we've got two descriptions here. So on the left is maybe that classic gospel and on the right is the gospel of the kingdom. So, the gospel of salvation is I get a ticket to heaven one day. The gospel of the kingdom is I get in an invitation into the reality of the kingdom 
today. Now, it's a now reality, not a one day reality. The gospel of salvation is avoiding punishment and hell. Yes, it's true, but the gospel of the kingdoms, I'm invited into daily fellowship with God. It's not actually about avoiding death, it's about entering into life. Jesus said, I've come to give life and life in abundance. How do I experience that abundant life? It's not by avoiding death, but it's by entering into His life, His way of living. The next one is avoiding sinning and being a good person. So I've got to stop doing bad things, try and do good things versus pursuing His kingdom and righteousness. That's the gospel of the kingdom is that I'll go after the goodness of God. Not that like I've got to try not to be a bad person. It's kind of, it's often that focus on the negative. It's focus, it's a focus, I'm not talking to you, Siri. It's a focus on the old rather than a focus on the new. Every time I say serious, I think, she thinks I'm talking to her. <sighs> the gospel of salvation is I'm saved out of pain and bondage. Whereas the gospel of the kingdom is I'm saved into his kingdom and new life. So it's not focusing on what I'm saved out. Is that true? Yes, I am. But I'm focusing on what am I saved to? In the gospel of salvation, salvation is the gift. In the gospel of the kingdom, Jesus is the gift. He is giving Himself. You get to be a friend of the King. You get to know the King. It's amazing. In the gospel of salvation, I'm extracted from the earth one day. In the gospel of the kingdom, I'm immersed into His kingdom here and now. In the gospel of salvation, the focus is individual. In the gospel of the kingdom, the focus is corporate. So it's not just like me, I'm invited into the family of God. I'm invited into God's mission that He gives to every believer to go and make disciples of all nations, to immerse them in the reality of God and who He is, and then to go and teach them how to obey everything that Jesus has called us to obey. In the gospel of salvation, Jesus is the Lord of my future. In the gospel of the kingdom, Jesus is my Lord today and forever. The gospel of salvation is all about what I'm saved from. The gospel of the kingdom is what I'm saved into. The gospel of salvation is all about inheriting salvation. Whereas the gospel of the kingdom is about inheriting the kingdom. And the gospel of salvation is all about me. Whereas the gospel of the kingdom is all about Jesus. If I'm, if I'm all about, this is what Jesus has done for me. Yes, He has. Do I deserve what Jesus has done? Absolutely not. And yet He loves me so much that it makes me deserving because I'm that precious to God, even though I deserve the opposite of what He gives me. It's kind of a bit of a paradox. Good name for a church. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, oh, they don't seem to match and yet they are. I am so loved by God and yet I'm so worthy of Him not loving me. And yet He does. But really when we come into it and, and it's presented to us, and the reason I'm saying this to you is because it's so important that we're presenting the right gospel to the world, the right good news, not a narrow part, but the full picture. So the reality is that the gospel doesn't start at the birth of Jesus and it doesn't end at the resurrection of Jesus or the ascension, Him returning back to heaven. It starts at creation. So this is the full picture of the gospel. It's not every single part, I'm sure, um, but this is what we receive out of the full story. So God is creator. So it starts at creation. God is creator. He created all that we see. He created you and I, and we were created to be in relationship with God and to care for the home that He created for us. So in creation, there was a commission given be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth. So see this beautiful expression of Eden 
which is like God's kingdom, see that spread right across the earth. He would be our good father and we would be his children. That was the initial intention of God with the creation of the earth. After creation, we have separation or the fall. So instead of us choosing to relate to God in this way, humanity rebelled against God. They were tempted to become like God. This is the story of Adam and Eve, where they could have been children of God, and yet they were tempted to be like God. Because of their rebellion against God, they were separated from relationship with Him, and a curse came upon the man and upon the woman and upon all of creation. In the Bible, in the book of Romans 3.23, it says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single person now is below the bar of what is required to have relationship with Him. The curse of sin has impacted all people from that moment on, so no one can be in right relationship with God. They broke the covenant that was made, that God made with them. They decided to break that. Then we get to redemption. This is good. So from the beginning, God had a rescue plan for humanity to restore relationship with them. In Romans 6.23 in the Bible, it says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus. The wages of sin is death, which means there had to be a payment for that sin. There had to be a payment for that rebellion. And the way that God established the world to work is that death was the result of sin. And if I am a sinner, then the only way to redeem it is that life would be lost, a sacrifice would be made. There had to be a payment for the sin of humanity. Instead of God punishing everyone for their sin, He chose to take the punishment upon Himself. God came to earth in the form of a man called Jesus. Jesus lived the perfect life that we were not able to live. Jesus was sacrificed in our place so that we didn't have to die for our sin. Jesus rose from the dead and overcame the power of death so that we can live forever with God. Jesus removed all the barriers that stood between humanity and Himself being fully reconciled in a relationship. And because of what Jesus did, people can now know God and be restored into His family if they choose to repent, which means to change their perspective, to change their mind if they choose to repent and to follow Jesus, rather than following their own ways, but to choose to follow Him. Now, oftentimes, this is where the story ends for some people, but there's a whole glorious part, which is where we're living today, and that is in restoration. God's ultimate plan for His creation is to restore it all to its original design. After Jesus left the earth and ascended to heaven, He sent His Holy Spirit to dwell in and upon His disciples. Jesus actually said, it's better that I go to be with the Father because when I go, I'm gonna send my Spirit. It's gonna dwell in you. It's gonna make His home in you. And that's what's gonna empower you to live this glorious life that I have for you. In the Bible, in the book of Acts, chapter one, verse eight, Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So that's like an expanding 
kind of realm of influence. Jerusalem is where they were. Judea and Samaria was the surrounding region and then the ends of the earth. So Jesus said, my Holy Spirit's gonna come and it's gonna come in power. And you're going to be empowered to then go and be my witnesses to all the nations. What's the point of your life? You might ask, what's my destiny? What's my calling? Is to be a witness for Jesus wherever He sends you. God is restoring His family. He's inviting His wayward children back into relationship with Him. God is restoring the earth to be a place that looks like heaven, like His original design. And God invites us to be a part of that restoration process. That's the key. That's discipleship. That's why you're here. That's why God hasn't just, oh, you're a Christian now, cool, let's go to heaven. It's like, no, 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 it's not about you going to heaven. <laughs> it's about you bringing heaven to earth. That's, that's the upside down, almost like the upside down part of the gospel that we need to understand. Oh, it's not about me going somewhere. It's about Him coming more into the earth. So as we follow Jesus and allow Him to transform us into His likeness through discipleship to Him, we are restored to our original design, which is to be like Jesus. And as we share the good news of Jesus and His kingdom with others, we help others to be restored to their original design of relationship to God. And then they become a disciple. Then they get restored to their original design in themselves. And then they go and share that with other people. And it's this cyclical thing that is designed to happen. But when our understanding of the gospel is uh, pray a prayer, you won't go to hell one day and then come and participate in some church activities, the gospel stops there often. It doesn't carry on because people don't realise, no, when you signed on to Jesus, you signed on to the responsibilities of being a disciple, which means being a disciple maker, which means being one who makes disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. And that's how it spreads. It's not by getting a crowd of people into a stadium for one individual to speak to. And I'm saying that can happen in places. And if God is on it and He makes it happen, hallelujah, praise the Lord, that's awesome. Okay? But even in that moment, if those people aren't, aren't, if the gospel proclaimed to them isn't, God is inviting you into relationship with Him in order that you might go and see His kingdom come, then we're missing it and it stops there. And as we shape the culture around us to reflect the values of God, we see the kingdom of heaven fill the earth, restoring all creation to its original design and purpose. That's good news. That's good news. That's what God has called us to give our lives to. That's the, that's the purpose for all of us. It will look differently to each one. You might have big influence, you might have small influence. The size doesn't matter. The message matters. Your life matters. Being obedient to Jesus really, really matters. But understanding, it's like, I, but I can't. I'm an introvert. I'm really, really shy. Excuse, excuse, excuse. There's no excuses for you. I can't talk. Can you write? Can you type? Can you blink out letters? Like, can you do something? Like, there's, there's nothing stopping you. It's like, oh, I, 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 you know, I don't like big crowds of people. You don't need to. It's probably actually probably more effective in little crowds or no crowds, one-on-one. You're showing, like we're all, it's like, I'm, not, I'm not very intelligent. Neither am I. I didn't finish high school. When I became a Christian, I could not hold a conversation with people. I was so socially awkward. 
This is the last place that I would have ever expected to be. I found, I found church community really uncomfortable. It's like, these people are talking to me. They're really friendly to me. Am I supposed to say things back to them? How do I do that? I don't know how to do that. Like that was just super awkward me. <laughs> the more I've yielded my life to God, the more He's equipped me to, to do what I need to do. And my mum says, you know, I was always smart, but that's what mums say. I didn't, like I've, I was, yep. Yeah. So again, you say, well, how did, how did I get to this place? I just said yes to Jesus. And He did what He needed to do to equip me to where I need to be in order to do what I need to do. Is this everyone's goal? I hope not. Because we don't need, we don't need hundreds of people to be able to stand up and preach we need hundreds of people to be out on the streets. And I mean, it's in the highways and byways and homes and neighbourhoods to share in the good news. This is what Jesus has done in my life. And this is what Jesus can do in your life. And this is what He's inviting you into. How glorious and amazing it is. You know, and then what happens is though, when that's not part of the church, then it pops out into other areas and we see people who are conservationists. The church should be the greatest conservationists in the world because they're the ones that are saying, hey, the kingdom is coming. And you know what? Creation is crying out for the revealing of the sons of God. That sons and daughters, sonship, you know what I'm saying? But it's that we would be revealed and creation is like, hallelujah, we can breathe again because the people of God are fulfilling the destiny of God. This is what we give our whole lives to. It's not that, it's, it's not that we receive a one-time kind of insurance policy against eternal torment. We can, just, when G, Jesus accomplished that work, it's so weird how much we can get caught up in, like I'm bad and God's angry with me and I've, I've sinned again. He's like, do you not understand that He paid the price for all of your sin? It's all or nothing, but it's all. So we need to stop focusing all of our attention on how bad we are and start focusing all our attention on how good He is and how good He is making me. Because in my power, I can do nothing. In His power, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But if I'm looking at my old identity and not looking at the identity that He's called me to, and I'm not saying don't be ignorant about sin and just be blind to it. No, deal with it, but you're gonna deal with it because you're focusing on Him. Him. <laughs> Not because you're focusing on how bad you are. Yeah, we've all got junk. I could write a long list. <laughs> and, I'm, and, I, and I want to be more like Him. But that's going to happen as I yield my life to Him and focus on Him and give my attention to Him and let Him do that work in me. We get invited to live every day with God and be part of His mission to restore humanity to its right order. What a glorious privilege that we're a part of. I think that's the vision that people will give their lives to. That's the gospel that Jesus preached. That's the gospel that the world needs to hear. It's a gospel that naturally leads into discipleship to Jesus and partnership with Him in His mission. If we all went out on the streets today and, and preached every single day for the rest of our lives and it just stopped at those that you speak to, again, maybe hundreds would be saved. But I, I, you know, I've done the numbers Whereas if, you, if, you, if your focus is discipleship, I'm inviting people into the mission of God to, to, to make disciples of all nations. One person can do that with one disciple a year. It takes 35 years, the entire population of the earth would be discipled. It's why Jesus did it that way. 
Now, again, there are times you read in the New Testament where there were crowds of people, but there was only a few handful times. The gospel mostly spread from household to household. And it was just people, ordinary, uneducated people, like every single one of the disciples. The reason they were in jobs is because they weren't fit to be disciples of a rabbi. So where does Jesus go? Does He go to the elite, the religious elite? No, He goes to the fishermen, He goes to the tradies, He goes to all of these everyday people, people who were despised. What was the early church filled with? Yeah, sinners, broken people, prostitutes, drunkards. These were the people that were drawn to Jesus, but these were the people that became Christians. Now, did their lives get transformed? Absolutely, but they didn't start there. The disciples, a group of 12 men, granted one didn't do so well, but the 11 that were left, today you're a Christian because of 11 just random, uneducated guys. But what did they do? They made disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And here we are today. We need to be sharing with people, hey, you know what? God loves you. He wants you to be in relationship with Him. He wants to transform your life. He wants to heal you. He wants to restore you. He wants to give you freedom and life. And today He's inviting you to do that. I feel like I could share that with anyone. And that's good news to everyone. Now, does, is everyone going to receive that good news? Well, no. Or it might take time for them hearing that. And I'm gonna go into some of the important things that we actually need to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus because maybe the message isn't what's wrong. Maybe it's the vessel that the message comes in. And I think that's why people have a real negative view of Christianity is because of the vessel, not because of the message. It's quite common. People say, oh yeah, like Jesus is cool. It's the church, <laughs> you know. But we've got a responsibility. That's why transformation to His likeness. Everyone loved Jesus, especially people who weren't religious. And you know who hated Jesus? Religious people. <laughs> so much so they killed Him. And that's all, that's really, you've got to really upset somebody to, to go to that level. Hey, I want to pray and I want to invite you to repent and believe the Gospel. You might hear repentance. I'm not a sinner. I'm not, I'm not saying you are. I'm just saying, again, repentance isn't always tied to sinfulness. Repentance is about sight, not sin. It's what we see and what we understand. And I wonder, you might be going, I think I've only heard a part of the gospel. I think I've only heard an, a little slither of it. And now I've heard the big picture. It's like, well, that changes some things for me. <laughs> personally, of how I'm living my life. And that certainly changes how I'm living in the world and the message that I know now I have to share. Why don't you join me in prayer? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You know, I wonder if for some of us, or maybe many of us, we began our journey with Jesus on the wrong footing. You know, maybe we started with the understanding that the whole point of becoming a Christian was mostly just to avoid the punishment for my sin. Maybe you remember that time where you came forward at a, at a youth group or a church service or an altar call and, and the message was really, 
You've got to believe in Jesus or bad things are going to happen. Or maybe it was positively presented, but it was all around what will happen one day. But Jesus is interested in what's happening today. Maybe your focus of your Christian life has been about avoiding separation from God rather than pursuing the inheritance of partnership with God. Maybe you've trying to you've been avoiding being put on trial by God when he's actually like no no you're a witness for the winning team. You're a witness for the righteous side. And Father, you, you care about sin in our lives because it, it impacts us, Lord. It impacts our relationship with you. It impacts our relationship with others, Lord. But you paid the price, Jesus. You broke the power of that sin. So Father, I just pray you would help us to to shift our eyes away, not in denial, not in ignorance, but focus our attention on You because You said, pursue my kingdom and righteousness. Go after what is good. Don't focus on all of the negatives. And maybe you're here this morning and you, you just missed the call to discipleship to Jesus. You thought the main thing was what will happen one day rather than the main thing being about what am I doing with my life? Am I just now a Christian who works the job and a Christian who has a family or studies or it's kind of like the labels changed, but what's inside the jar hasn't changed. But Lord, you're interested about what's happening inside. You're interested about who we are. And out of who we are, that transformation comes what we say, Lord. It comes how we live and we get to embody the message like You did, Jesus. You weren't one thing in the public sphere and a different thing in the private sphere, Lord. You were Jesus and You've called us to be like You and You've given us everything that we need for that to happen in Your Holy Spirit. You know, maybe you missed the call to to partner with God to see His kingdom come and His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Maybe you're still caught up on your own kingdom or your own will being done. And I wanna give you an opportunity this morning to repent and turn from that way and say, God, it's all about your kingdom. It's all about your will, Jesus, what you desire, what you want. Maybe you're here today and you're just feeling like, man, I think I've just lost that first love feeling. I think I've just become dry. I've just got into the repetition of of Christian activity and I've lost that passionate love for God. Love compels us to do radical things. We need that burning fire of love. That's why the greatest commandment is to love God with every part of who we are and then to love others. Maybe you've lost a love for those around you who don't know Jesus. Maybe you feel like you've tried and you've you've failed and you've given up. So Father, I wanna pray.
for those of us this morning who just feel like we need to repent. We need to repent for only believing part of the Gospel, Lord. Father, we choose to repent for for not understanding that our whole life is about being a disciple of Yours and seeing Your Kingdom come, making disciples of others, Lord. And we will do that in a job. We'll do that in a neighbourhood. We'll do that on the sporting field, everywhere that we are, Lord. It doesn't necessarily, won't necessarily change what we do, but it'll change how we do it, Lord. Father, I pray that You would awaken that first love feeling in us, God. Why, if you can stand, why don't you stand with me? Father, we pray that You would awaken first love again in our hearts, Lord. We know, Holy Spirit, You could do that. Why don't you feel too? Why don't you just even just put your hand on your chest like your hand is on your heart and it's saying, Holy Spirit, would you come and awaken first love? Just a fresh fire of love in my heart for you, God, and for everything that you're about, Lord. And we thank you, Jesus, that there is no barrier between us and you, that you don't close the door on us, Lord. The door is always open, Father. So we thank You, even as the Bible says, we can come boldly before Your throne. Father, we choose to believe the full picture that we are as disciples now, we're in the season of redemption, Lord, and restoration. That the message that we have to share is that You are love and You love Your creation and You're desiring for them to come back into right relationship with You not just to avoid the eternal punishment one day, but to enter into new life and to partner with You, God. You've called us to partner with You. You've called us to be part of Your co-mission, that we're not alone, Lord. We don't go off and do it on our own. We do it with You, Lord. Father, we pray that You would awaken that love in our hearts for those who don't know You, Jesus. We don't want to fall in love with evangelism, Lord. We want to fall in love with people. We want to be in love with You and in love with people. And from that place, God, that You wouldn't be able to shut our mouths, Lord, of telling people how great and glorious You are, of declaring, man, there's some good news that you need to hear. And it's not so much that You're bad, as that Jesus is good and He loves you. And He wants you. He desires you. And He wants to use you. He wants to, He's inviting you into this glorious reality of seeing His kingdom come and the world transformed. You gave your life for that, Jesus, and you invite us to give our lives for that, Lord. Jesus, you called the people of Israel to repent and believe the gospel. And they were your people, Lord. They didn't need saving, they needed revelation and commissioning. So Father, I just pray revelation would come upon your people this morning and commissioning, Lord, that we would feel that strength that God is send me. As the Father has sent Jesus, so He is sending me. He's sending me into out into every place that I go. Literally, as I walk out the door, I'm not going home to have lunch. I'm not going down to hang out on the beach. I'm going as a missionary with Jesus to see world transformation.
might be the next Billy Graham in this room, or there might be a CEO of a multi-million dollar company. And actually through that, you'll see the Gospel proclaimed and you'll see culture transformed. God wants the Kingdom and His Gospel message in every sphere of society. And it's wanting to break out. It needs to break out of the four walls of the church, Lord. There's no good as coming here every week and hearing the Gospel and it stays here. What a waste. But Father, would You empower us and awaken us, Lord, as evangelists, as we all are. We are all carriers of good news. But Lord, open our eyes to see the opportunities to love people, to serve people, to be kind, to be generous, to express Jesus. Lord, that signs, wonders and miracles would break out, Lord, that the unmistakable reality of Your Kingdom would be seen and experienced by people. It's what You did, Jesus. You showed the Kingdom by healing people. You showed the Kingdom by casting out demons, Lord. You showed the Kingdom by miraculous provision in people's lives. We wanna see Your Kingdom come and Your will be done, Jesus. We choose to give our lives to that mission, Lord. You gave Your life to that mission and You invite us to give our lives to that mission. So Father, we choose to repent and we choose to believe the Gospel today. Maybe you're here this morning, you're like, I don't know if I've ever chosen Jesus. And I wanna encourage you, all you gotta do is say, I choose you, Jesus. I receive everything that you have for me and I give everything of myself to you. And I ask, Holy Spirit, would you come and make your home in me? I'm an open vessel to receive you. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come upon those people right now. They would know a witness of your Spirit, Lord. They would feel it in their bodies. They would feel weight come upon them. They'd feel peace rush through them. They'd feel tingling in their body. They'd feel warmth. Whatever manifestation you want to bring, we just pray, Holy Spirit, you would come now. Even as you said to your disciples, do not leave until the the Spirit has come upon you in power. I just pray, Holy Spirit, you would come upon your people in power right now. We say, come Holy Spirit. Yes, Lord, it is your desire. Would you come upon your people right now in Jesus' Name. Your power would come. Your power would come, Lord. We need your power. We can't do it without Your power. We can't do it without Your presence, Holy Spirit. So we say, Holy Spirit, come, fill us afresh. Come and rest upon us, Holy Spirit. We need You, Lord. We desire You, Lord. And we say yes to You, Holy Spirit. Thank You, Jesus. Thank You, Jesus. Thank You, Jesus. Thank You, Jesus. Oh, You are King, Lord. You reign today, Lord. It's not that You will reign one day. You are King today. You are our King today. And You reign, Lord. And You will reign forever, Jesus. You will reign forever, Jesus. You will reign forever.
Coffee tea available. Bless your team.